Hello, I'm Devin Wilkins, and welcome to Insight Peterborough. My co-host this week is Charlie Chomko. Hi, Charlie. How are you? Good. How are you, Devin? I'm good, thanks. And Insight Peterborough is a uh, show that is a project of the Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council for the Blind. And if you want to get hold of them, all you have to do, or us, <laughs> all you have to do is email ccbpeterborough at gmail.com and you'll find us. So we have a, a guest uh, that we're going to be chatting with by phone in a few minutes and um, she is the daughter of the gentleman who established the Gordon and Arby Holmbeck Award which is presented each June to someone who um, uh, is uh, working toward making Peterborough City and County a little more accessible. And uh, that was presented on the uh, 24th of June. And the reason I know the date is that this year I was the uh, uh, lucky and happy recipient. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I thought it would be kind of interesting to have a chat with her. Um, with uh, Gloria, who is the uh, daughter. She uh, will be chatting with her from Belleville. But to get us going, let's have uh, some more Canadiana music there. Uh, Charlie, how mm -hmm. about Canadian Pacific by Hank Snow? All right, here we go. All and right. we'll set up the phone interview and be back. Yeah. Through Prince Edward Island and New Brunswick 
Right, Canadian Pacific, uh, sung by Hank Snow, and uh, that's a good uh, Canadian song to start the program with. So we have Gloria Hatter with us, who, as I mentioned, is the daughter of the gentleman who established the Gordon and Arby Hollenbeck Award. And uh, Gloria, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can, Devin. Okay, terrific. Uh, welcome to the program, and thanks so much for agreeing to be with us. You're welcome. So let's uh, kind of start at the beginning uh, and uh, find out, uh, was your dad uh, born and uh, raised, and did he live here in Peterborough? No, he wasn't, Evan. Okay. He was, uh, he was born and raised in Coburg. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm, yeah. And when did he move to uh, Peterborough? What uh, brought him to Peterborough? Well, what brought him to Peterborough was his uh, father um, was working and, uh, at the corporate dining company. And um, then he came uh, back home and said the company had gone bankrupt. And that was in the Great Depression of 1929. Mm-hmm. And he said, but that's such a terrible depression. Thousands of people were out of work across the country, and people were losing all their savings. So he decided that his, his brother was working. By, by the way, he was uh, from a family of six, and he was the youngest. So his, one of his brothers was working, and so later he said he became working uh, or had to get a job uh, you know, to help support the family. Right. And um, so he, uh, he became a salesman for Canada Bread, uh, making about $19 a week, he said. Oh, wow. And then they eventually sold up to Wonder Bread, so he applied to jobs in Peterborough, and he ended up at the General Electric. Ah. And he worked at General Electric for 35 years. Really? Ah, that's, mm-hmm. that's yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. That uh, is a company that certainly gave a lot of uh, people in Peterborough work. Oh, it certainly did. Yes. Yeah. It's it too, did, yeah. too bad that it is closing now. Yes. However, mm-hmm. um, that uh, is a subject for another day. Right. Uh, and so, how did... Uh, your dad, and, and maybe I should ask, uh, uh, is Arby, uh, was Arby his uh, uh, another family what? member? She's his wife. Oh, okay, yeah. That okay. Was my mother, yes. 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 Uh, he met her when he came to Peterborough, and um, he said that uh, he was on the committee that um, took a hot coffee sandwich to the firefighters, and then he said he uh, was already a member of the Salvation Army Band when he moved. So he, uh, he joined that, and he, he said he first learned how to play, you know, different instruments and that sort of thing. And then he met his, um, his uh, well, he says a sweetheart, mm-hmm. my, my mother, yeah. in 1938 at a youth group convention. 
And uh, he was in the band, and she was in the choir, and he said, I knew she was the girl for me. Oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah, so they courted, courted, even though that's an older term. But yeah. Yes, uh, for two years, and they um, they got married. Uh, he was 25, and she was 23. Oh, true. And, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They were married on Dad's birthday, which was June the 8th, Oh. 1940. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and I know you have a, a brother, so that's yes. two children. Were there others? No, just my brother and I. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I was born, he said, in a cold February day. Um, and he said my brother, was Brian, was born on his birthday and also my mom and dad's wedding anniversary. Oh. So we all had, always had three occasions to uh, to go to every, every year. It was quite nice. Kind of uh, three at one end of the year, and uh, yours and one, at the other, or the beginning yeah, of the yeah, year, practically. Yeah, right, right out of a different era. You yeah. Well say. yeah. <laughs> I, I always felt like that. I was the odd one out. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, how was it that your uh, dad and and mom got involved with? Uh, I believe it was a disaster relief fund. Well, what it was is um, my dad. He uh, he. Um, let me see, wait, what was I saying now? Oh, he had, like, some people that, like, they lived in, a, in a, like, a, um, like a, a big house, like, a, for a while. And they, there was three, like, apartments upstairs. So he said that there was, all of a sudden, there was a fire. And uh, he said that just, you know, thought, oh, my goodness, I have to, you know, try and help somebody. Yeah. So he said he woke my mom up at 2 o'clock in the morning telling her about his plan. And uh, then he thought about it. And then he said, I'm going to, you know, find out about this. So um, they, uh, he, that's how he got into that part of it. And um, so he helped people, and people, uh, they sent people to uh, uh, hotels and stuff, and they had a fire and gave them like, things like toothpaste, toothbrush, that sort of thing. And, uh, and that's how it all started. So it's really the, um, the uh, city-county disaster fund of Peterborough. Yes. And uh, it's still going very strong today. Um, they, uh, they have... A, they have um, Different, well, some of the same people on it, and uh, he um, just thought, you know, that's that's what that was the beginning of it, and he thought that's a good plan. So, like I said, it's still going strong today, and uh, he had other people on the committee with him, and everybody helped out, and uh, that was how that started. Yeah, I have a good uh, friend here in uh, Peterborough, I went to school with her in Brantford, and uh, she recalls uh, very well working uh, with your dad on that committee, mm-hmm. the, the original committee. They used to do what they called fire drives. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so um, how uh, was it that the award that is presented every year, or has been since uh, 1989, I believe, how well, was it that that became, uh, came to be? Well, the thing is, uh, Devin, that um, he started out uh, uh, thinking that City Hall uh, should have an elevator, you know, because oh. this is for all disabled people. Yes. He's always been an advocate for uh, disabled. And uh, so he went to City Hall and, and asked them about that, and they, um, they all decided a committee, and that was a, a good idea. So, therefore, uh, over the couple of years, the um, uh, elevator was put into City Hall. And he said when he used to go to council meetings uh, a few years later, he uh, used, uh, you know, he used the elevator himself, and he thought it was a really good thing. And I think everybody did in Peterborough that, you know, went to City Hall and was disabled. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you yeah. happen to remember how it was that he, uh, be, how he came to be an advocate for people with disabilities? 
Well, as I said, the, the elevator, I think, was the first thing that started him going on, on disabled people. Okay. So him and mother uh, used to uh, help out with different things and, uh, and help the disabled, you know, as much as they could. Yeah. And, uh, and always, you know, we're, we're advocates for that sort of thing. And so other things uh, came down the, uh, the road, you know, um, helping out people like that. So Yes. Um, yeah, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And then well, that yeah. sort of evolved into the, um, uh, was... Yeah, to the award, yes. So he he thought that it would be nice if uh, people that, like yourself, that won the award um, and did a lot of good things for Peterborough and the county, that uh, he would uh, have, a, like, a little plaque like you got yes. every year. And uh, that's kind of how it started. And, you know, a few people have gotten it already, as you know. Yes. And, uh, and uh, as yourself, and uh, they really appreciate it. We have a little um, um, uh, uh, thing at City Hall every year. Uh, either my brother or I go up yes. uh, uh, from the family, there's just the two of us. Uh -huh. And um, we help present the award to the uh, recipient that gets it. Yes. And uh, it's um, when council meeting has their council, but we do it uh, beforehand. It's not a long ceremony, but it's very nice. And uh, Checks TV usually is there and doing write ups and that sort of thing. So. Um, and now it, it, you know, it continues every year, and we hope it's going to. Yes. You know, uh, and go up as much as we can as, as uh, family members. Yes. Well, it sure it was nice to meet you the other day, that's for sure. Mm -hmm, it was, Gavin, very much. Did your, did your dad get to present uh, some of the first awards? Uh, I, I'm not sure on that, Gavin. I, that's a, some answer I really can't give you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure if that was after he died or... or um, uh, he, he was here. I don't think he did it himself. Okay. Um, I know he had different interviews, but I'm not sure if that was one of them. Oh, yes. That's one thing I cannot say to you. When when sure. did when did he pass away? He passed away in um, 19. Oh, where is it here? I'm uh, sorry to put you on the spot. Oh, oh no, no, I should no. I had things already for myself, but I. I just uh, have to. I just have a you know, piece of paper here that I have to get, and yeah, and I can just tell you here in a second. I should have had it with me, and I didn't. <laughs> no, that's okay. The <laughs> the award uh, uh, was first presented, I guess, in 1989, yeah. and has been presented every year since then. That's right, it has. Yes. Well, we can see that when he died, we'll know, won't we? Yeah. 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 He. Uh, Oh, I know his um somewhere here. Oh, now off I don't have it. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. That's terrible, Deb. I'm <laughs> sorry about that. I should have all my facts together and I just simply did not have that. No, no, that that's okay. Um I I don't think I mentioned that I would ask that question. Well that's okay. But I mean his funeral service was March the twenty fourth, so I think it was uh we had to, I know we had to delay it because of another funeral at the church, so it was just a couple of weeks uh, before the 24th. Oh, I see, yes. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. it was, yeah. Yeah. And uh, your father passed away after your mother? Did, did she get to present any of the awards? Do you no, know? no, she died, no. She died ahead of him, and uh -huh. he died four years later. Oh, I her, see, yeah. At age 96. Wow, so he, he lived she, a good life. He did, and she was 90. Yes. Mm -hmm. so she had That's a good great. life as well. Yes. And she helped him quite a bit um, when he was with the disaster fund, but with the, um, the city council like canvassing. I remember I came up from Belleville and helped him dance, uh, canvass with my mother. And so we helped that way, but Mom helped him quite a bit too 
with the, you know, behind the scenes with uh, taking phone calls for him and, and answering questions and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So she did a lot, too, to help him out. Oh, that's true. And, uh, and they were very much, um, as you always said, sweethearts. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, did he have any political involvement in Peterborough, other than, uh, which isn't political, but being on the Disaster Relief Fund? Um, yes, he got quite a few awards for Peterborough, but it ended up, which was quite nice, um, you know, the, um, the uh, Ontario yeah. uh, has the, picks out 12 uh, people every year yes. uh, to go to uh, Queen's Park. Yes. And, uh, and he was one of the 12. Ah, very nice. So yeah. he went up to uh, Queen's Park, and uh, we happened to be with them because they could choose, um, like, two children, not more than that. But And it was just my brother and I. So we all went up, and the ceremony was beautiful up there. Yeah. And he, he was very uh, happy in pre getting presented that award, I'm telling you. Oh, terrific. That's great. Was, yeah, it, that was lovely. And he's got yeah, many awards since then. Like, he was citizen of, of the Peterborough, citizen of the year of Peterborough. Yes. And, um, oh, like, his chairman of the elevator extension at City Hall. Uh, he's on the committee to install that elevator in, oh, in the Royal Canadian Legion Hall as well. Yeah. Inducting the Pathway of Fame, uh, recipient of the Award of Merit from Disaster Fund Committee in County of Peterborough. Wow. And uh, he served on many boards, Chamber of Commerce, United Way, Senior Council, etc. All that. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yes. He's like, yeah, as I said, Citizen of the Year. And uh, um, he's a member of the Royal Canadian Legion Branch, 52 in Peterborough. Yes. Uh -huh. And uh, chairman of the Welfare Department for seven years. And he's always also on council for seven years. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Well, and he's... Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, fundraising committee for city hospital emergency and intensive care unit. Uh huh. And uh, yeah, among a few others, seven. But I don't want to take up your time and tell you all that. But. Oh no, no. It's <laughs> it's nice to know he definitely made uh, well, Peterborough yeah. a better place to live. Yeah, he made a difference in the city of Peterborough. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah, that's terrific. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll bet you your mom was pretty busy too. Oh, she was. Yes, uh, they belonged to the Salvation Army, uh -huh. and uh, she was very busy there. She sang in their choir, and my dad sang, uh, played in the band, and they were uh, members of different things, and uh, he was treasurer of the Army there for a while. Okay. And she was, she was with a group of ladies called the Home League, and oh, she yes. did many things uh, for that as well. Yeah. So they were very, kept very busy with the Salvation Army, as well as, you know, other family and in the city of Peterborough as well. Oh, that's great. Yes, it is. Yeah. Now, have you had the uh, chance to meet uh, past recipients of the award? To be what? Oh, yes, uh, some of them I have, Devin. Yes. yes. Yeah. So you've been up here a few times. I've been up here a couple of times. My, yes. yeah, my brother has, has been up as well. Oh, yes. And, uh, yeah, um, I think I was up in uh, 20, I think 2015, because um, uh, for two reasons I couldn't go uh because I was uh, moving one year. Oh, my. And then next year I had my shoulder replaced. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so yeah. I couldn't get up there. So, no. yeah. How's the shoulder yeah. now? Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, good. I'm glad Very to good. That. Yeah. yeah, I did. Yeah. Yes, I think uh, I was going to say I could tell you um, the, the man that I presented to was, um, what was his name here? He was a very, very nice man. Uh-huh. And, well, you might know him. Yes. Um, it, yes, his name was, um, oh gosh, I'm not awful, I can't see any more writing here. Uh, you know, it's, it's not good to write things down when you don't write properly. Because <laughs> after that, I, I can't even read my own writing sometimes. <laughs> oh, his name was Alec Denier. 
Oh, yes, Alec you know Denise. Yes, I know yes. Alec, yes. A lovely man. He was in his wheelchair, but um, he has, I, I guess he's done a lot of things. He's a sports uh, person as well. Yes, in a the uh, sport. Yeah, Paralympics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and he's still very busy with Is the uh, Council for uh, Persons with Disabilities on their mm-hmm. Active Together uh, program. So, oh, that's good. Yeah, he still keeps himself very busy. Oh, he looks like he, he's a tight that boy, too, you yes. know? Yes, and he's yes, and, into curling. And at that ceremony, there was a couple of people also. Um, I, don't, I don't have names of them with me, but um, it was a woman and a young man, and he had a guide dog with him. Oh, yes. So I think he was, he was you know, had something to do with that as well. Yes. I think could, they got a couple, like, smaller awards, but it wasn't like calling back award, but some, from something else. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I didn't, it didn't print that, you know, right out the paperwork I was looking at. So yeah. Yeah. I couldn't tell you their names, but no. uh, they were very happy. And also, my dad uh, lo- loved the uh, fire department. Oh, yes. And um, I'll tell you what he did uh, before he died. Um, the fire department had a, a big new ladder truck, and uh, it was his wish always to go on it. So it was a day in November, or just a few years, just a little bit time before he died. And um, he donned the um, fireman's suit and the helmet and the whole thing. And the, they took him on the ladder, the ladder truck right to the top of Fairhaven. Oh, wow. And he, he placed a little uh, Canadian flag up there. Oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah, I'm we sure. We thought that... that was real. Yeah, we thought that was good. But that was one of his wishes because he always had uh, a lot of admiration for the Fairbrook uh, Fire Department. Yeah. And he used to go down there and visit them and that sort of thing. Eh? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, our mm-hmm. firefighters are definitely uh, wonderful people risking oh, their are. lives every day for our health and safety and that sort of they thing. They sure are. And they, you'll put their life on the line a lot, too. Yes, yeah. Because they never know when they go if they're coming back or not. Well, no, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we definitely appreciate people uh, who oh, uh, sure. do that for yeah. us. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, that's what he did, you know, before he uh, yes. before he died. He did that. Yeah, well, that's good. Well, yeah. it's just one of his wishes, so why not, eh? Yeah, sure, yeah, that's for sure. And I think the fire department got a kick out of it as well. Oh, I'm sure they did. I'm sure <laughs> they'll the, be people... That's a brand new ladder truck. I'll say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for <laughs> There'll sure. There'll be people there who uh, who will remember that for a long time. Yeah, they have a little crowd outside there watching it. Oh, it was that's in November. Great. It was no, in oh. November, so it's a bit chilly, but... Yes, yeah. Know, but uh, it was still fine, you know, and everything. Everything went well. Yeah, oh, well, that's, that's good. What, that's what he wanted, yeah. Yes, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, now, have I forgotten to ask you anything, or, Charlie, uh, are there any questions that uh, you'd like to throw in? Um, I think I pretty well know about uh, everything that goes on, and, uh, and it was nice to get up there as much, you know, go as much as I can. And uh, I think I told you, like, in, in short form, of course, about my parents, because uh, I could go on and on, but I know you don't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, There's lots of things that went on with those, too. <laughs> oh, yes. I, uh, they sound like they were very uh, busy and engaged and involved. They were very people. active, yes. Yes. They were, yes. Yeah. Plus, you know, uh, giving time to the family as well. Oh, yes, that's uh, right. My brother and I both live out of town. I'm from Belleville, and he's from Kingston, so. Ah, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, we appreciate the fact that you come up, one of you comes up every year to... Yeah, well, uh, try and do that. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's terrific. Yes. And I know yes. I really enjoyed meeting you uh, on mm-hmm. uh, June 24th. And I did too, Devin. Very nice. Thank you. Yeah. You do a lot of good uh, things, that's for sure. 
Well, we keep uh, plugging away, and, uh, you yeah. know, I sort of feel we have to all try to pull our weight a little bit. For and sure. Oh, give yeah. back. So. Yeah. It was yeah, really nice. Well, you, you keep up the good work, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was really nice hearing about and your dad and his involvement with the firefighters and the disaster relief and then um, the community involvement and everything. Devin? Yeah. What was it that you... Um, got the award for if you don't mind me asking uh well uh this for one thing insight peterborough and uh i'm secretary of the uh peterborough chapter of the ccb and uh i do some volunteering for cnib and uh and uh the uh, council for uh, persons with disabilities so uh i keep turning up like a bad penny <laughs> <laughs> Well, Gloria, thank you so much for uh, oh, you're welcome, taking Devin. time out of your busy day to uh, oh, chat with no. us. And... It was my pleasure to do this. Okay, and thanks so much for uh, staying involved in the life of Peterborough. We uh, really appreciate uh, everything that your uh, dad and mom did and, of course, everything that uh, you do. Oh, I know. That's the, yeah. Every time I, I go to Peterborough, like I still have a few living relatives up there. Yeah. And uh, I drive around and say, you know, it's just like being, being in their old home, really. Cause, oh, yes. You know, I was, brought, I was uh, born and raised there, so. Yes. It's always nice to get to Peterborough once in a while. Yeah. What uh, what school did you go to when you were here? I went to um, a Prince of Wales, Queen Mary, and uh, Peterborough Collegiate. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. so, yes, uh, you'd be well known here. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know because that's a long time ago, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of looked at my old grade eight school picture one year, and I thought, "Oh my goodness, I wonder where all these people are now, and yeah. how old are they, and everything." I don't know. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe some people will have heard this uh, program. Well, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. All right. Well, you take okay. good care, and uh, hope yeah. to see you again sometime soon. Thank you so much, Devin. For right. this. Thanks, Gloria. Okay, bye. Bye for now. And there's a, a chat with Gloria Hatter from Belleville, but she is the daughter of Gordon and R.B. Holmbeck, who established the Holmbeck uh, Award for uh, people who uh, work toward making uh, life in, uh, in the Peterborough area more accessible. So uh, next June, who knows who, who it might be that uh, receives the award. Well, Charlie, what have we got for uh, music there? Um, uh, you you mentioned the Moody Manitoba Morning Song yeah. as one of the ones that you collected that have to do with Canada Day and yeah. everything. Yeah, so here are the bells then with Moody Manitoba Morning.
and that was the bells with Moody Manitoba Morning. Last summer, Simon did an interview with a gentleman named Jason Chassar, who is a, an entertainer and a magician who has a hearing impairment, and he has a very interesting story. And as you know, um, we like to interview and chat with people with um, disabilities who... Um, have a, a business that they're um, uh, putting together or a hobby that they like to share and definitely Jason keeps himself busy. So here's Simon's interview from last year with Jason Shazar. I'm sure it'll be magical and entertaining. It will. <laughs> Very good, Charlie. Oh. Oh. There we go. So I'm here with Jason Shazar from Uncommon Entertainers and Network Like a Magician. Hi, Jason. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's been a nice long day of work and uh, living my life the way I choose, so it's been good. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds preferable. So the reason that we're having on you on the show is because I think you've got a really exciting story to tell, and the work that you're doing is, is really quite relevant to, to our audience. So I guess could you start by letting us know who you are and, and what you're all about? Perfect. I'd be happy to. Um, as you mentioned, I'm with Uncommon Entertainers and Network Like a Magician, which are separate but similar entities. Uh, Uncommon Entertainers is a support organization for performers of the unique arts. Uh, we all believe in challenging the limited perception of what is possible. That is why some of us play with spin fire, or play with magic, juggle, dance on aerial silks. We also perform professionally. We've, uh, we've had clients such as Justin Bieber, The Dragons, uh, we perform for Lennox Lewis, Bill Kazmaier, Olympians, Fortune 500 companies all over North America. 
and that's the entertainment side of things. And I'm the magician within that group and, and the head visionary behind it. And it's called uh, Uncommon Entertainers? Uncommon Entertainers, yes. It's based out of, uh, out of Peterborough with most of the artists here, but we, are, uh, we have artists all over Ontario, most of which have some sort of challenge or obstacle, both physically or mentally, in which we've been recognized for in supporting those artists and supporting those individuals in helping to overcome the challenges so that they can go on and live a life uh, of success uh, with the proper income and support that they need to really, really take themselves to the next level. I guess success is somewhat uncommon too, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> very cool, very cool. And, and sorry, what was the other thing? I guess Network Like a Magician. Yeah, Network Like a Magician is more corporate training, facilitating, and speaking. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I travel the world sharing both my personal story about being deaf as a child and using magic to face my fear. Uh, as well as to teach networking, uh, championship teams, sales, and a lot of corporate structure. So I have clients uh, anywhere from Fortune 500 companies down to one-on-one individuals. I have been in the last 60 days, I've been in Ireland, uh, Edmonton, and Vegas. I've been paid to go out and travel and, and speak to these different organizations and groups. And so I'm now on average in front of anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousand people every single week. Wow. So, I mean, you strike me as a relatively young person, and you have a, a pretty exciting story. So, I guess, how did you get there? How did the, it didn't just come about all at once. You mentioned a little bit about it in your, your introduction there, but, but could you elaborate? How did you get here? I'd be happy to. So, uh, as you mentioned, I uh, appreciate your compliment. I'm 34, uh, and, and I definitely I stand up on stage and in front of people, and I'm a master magician and, and all this, but it wasn't always that way. Uh, when I was about four years old, maybe you can hear a bit of my accent, uh, it's actually a speech impediment. When I was four, I was diagnosed that I was partially deaf. I think it was like 85% deaf. Couldn't hear. As a result, I couldn't speak. It was only found because I had a language all of my own. And so at first, I was written off as just uh, as classified as special. And so uh, and I was told, my parents were told that I was just slow. Uh, and then a couple more years passed, and they realized it was actually a hearing impairment, a very simple hearing impairment that could have been solved with tubes. But because it wasn't caught in time, uh, the damage was already done, and I, I couldn't speak English. Tubes as in, like, fluid or something? Uh, there's a, there's, so they do a surgery on your ear, and they put a, a I, I think of it as a sponge. It's a thing that goes in your ear called a tube, and it sucks up the oil and the um, back, the the substance within your ear oh. that actually blocks your ear and prevents you from being able to hear the wax build up, basically. Oh, okay. And so it was a very simple solution if caught in time properly. It's not something that uh, kids face too many times nowadays because they get tested for it regularly, but back then it happened all the time. And so as a result of not catching it, it took 12 surgeries and a decade of speech therapy just so I could start speaking English. A decade of speech therapy. Yeah. I went to Five Counties Children's Center uh, for a number of years. I had an in, I had a therapist in my school, and had uh, support all through high school uh, because of my because of my learning disability as a result of the speech speech impairment. And that was no anxiety. small task. That's a lot of work. Like oh yeah. Well, when I was 17, I used to hide. Uh, I, I, one of my favorite things when I was that age was I successfully stayed out of every social activity. I stayed out of the yearbook. Uh, most people did not know who I was or where I was. Even some teachers did not even know I was in the class. I was professionally. Uh, I was actively pursuing the idea of being invisible, and I was very successful at it. And that, that was, was magic goal. by itself. Yeah, that was my goal all through high school. Wow, so 
are you a late bloomer, or did you were the seeds of your of your magic started early in life? Like how did how did that come about? It's a passion, obviously. Very much so. Uh, it changed my life. In my opinion, magic saved my life. Uh, it came because my parents. So even though that I, I mentioned the one side of me, the shy, anxious, social, socially challenged individual who couldn't be around more than two people, uh, my parents at a young age saw that I loved magic. And so about five years old, they invited a magician to come to my birthday. And I was too scared to even go in front of, like, be at my own birthday party. I was hiding. And uh, the magician got me to get up in front of people, and he made me float. And I got scared. I ran away. He's like, that's okay. Just close your eyes and got me up. And so my mom tells me the story about how the first time she saw it, and she had tears in her eyes. And I was all excited because I was floating in front of everybody. What my parents saw was me in front of people. And so from that day forward, they always encouraged magic. I watched YTV, learned tricks from magicians on TV, went to the library and got books, and they bought me magic kits all the time. When I was 12, they hired that very same magician to teach me. So even though I was this socially shy and anxious boy behind the scenes, on weekends, I would go work with a magician behind the scenes, taking care of the bird and the bunny and practicing magic and being taught one-on-one. It took me four years before I ever got on a stage, but I spent four years behind the scenes practicing up in my room and honing my skills so when I was 16 I started performing on stage when I was 17 late into my 17th almost 18th birthday uh, I woke up it was in November I, I absolutely hated life hated it I was I had no friends I didn't socialize with anybody I just stayed up in my room and practiced magic and I got fed up and I said enough is enough and I realized I'd asked myself questions to help compensate for some of the other thoughts I was thinking at that time and so I uh, decided I would go get a close-up magician to teach me close-up magic. Because at this point, I'd learned stage, silent, done to music. I never spoke on stage. I learned close-up magic. And then I thought of an individual who I knew at a young age who could help me. And so I went and asked for help. And so he invited me out, and by association, he was very social, very gifted in the gab. I asked for the help. I tried to run away when he said yes. He wouldn't let me run away and insisted and helped basically, you know, figure, imaginatively having someone's hand on your shoulder holding you there going, no, 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 you asked for help, let's go. And so I uh, sucked it up and I went. And over the next couple of years, I uh, built up a bit of confidence socializing with people by showing magic tricks. And he was like my first promoter. And so I would wow. show tricks. I wouldn't speak, I wouldn't talk, I wouldn't look up, but I'd show magic. Wow. And I slowly built my confidence up that way. All right, without trying to go too in-depth in on something that might be a sensitive topic. I'm really curious. I mean, you're telling me that 17 years old is when things started to really, you got on stage and you started to, to do things. That's the end of high school, I guess. Mm -hmm. So your so your entire schooling uh, was you trying to be invisible. Yes. It, literally, it was the day after I graduated that my life changed. How, how much of a, of a factor was the hearing impairment and the speech impediment? Uh, I would in say... In trying to be invisible, I guess. I would say it was the, so I don't think, when I think of myself, I don't think I had a disability. I don't think I had a challenge. I think I had life. And that was just my obstacle in life. And it's one of many. If I was the, if I wanted to have a, oh, look at me, here's all the things that, uh, reasons why I should fail in life, I have at least 15 stories that pop into my head from my mom having a stroke at 12, my, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, we won't go into those. But how I look at it is, is, um, the influence, I'd say what held me back wasn't the challenge of hearing or lack of hearing. It wasn't the speech impediment. It wasn't the ability that I couldn't, no one could understand me until I was like 10 years old, 11 years old. None of that was a factor. What was a factor was my mindset. 
in my head, I had this self-limiting belief. I believed people when they said I was slow. I believed people when they said I can't do that. I believed them when they said I'm not good enough or you're whatever. We all have one. I'm not pretty enough. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm not smart enough. I'm too... We all have one. And so it was 17 that I literally, I sat up in bed and I realized this is not right. I'm scared. I'm terrified. And I started listing off all the things I was terrified of. And I decided that day, it was a, it was a cold November. I sat up in bed and I said, enough is enough. I'm getting past this. And so from that day forward, everything I did was to, to be the new me, to be the me I choose to be, not the me everybody says I would be. Wow. That's, that's a great story, I guess, and that's something that, that you've shared with people. This, yes. this is a rather inspirational trajectory, and I, I, I guess that there's other people out there that would, that would love to hear that story. You've had a chance to, to share your story, I understand? Yes. Uh, as, uh, I'm a kinsman. I'm a part of a bunch of organizations and associations. Char- children's things are what I get involved with the most. Um, but as a kinsman, just like when I got helped at a young age of 17, when I was 25, I started uh, I'm an electrician by trade, and I left the trade to do my passion of magic. I wanted to make my living being a magician. And so I joined, joined a bunch of organizations, and I started networking, using magic again as my safety blanket to go out and socialize. And I met an individual at Kinsman who heard the truth. See, up until that point, if you said, where are you from? I said, where do you think? If you said Zimbabwe, I went, yeah, how'd you know? And quickly Googled where that was. And uh, because I was too scared to tell the truth. If I said, it's a, if someone said, what's, what's your accent? And I said, it's a speech impediment. My first response that I got from them was, oh, I'm so sorry. And they felt embarrassed that they asked that question. Mm-hmm. And it didn't bother me. It's, it's who I am. It doesn't bother me. I have a speech impediment. whip de do. Uh, it's barely there now. But back then, it was still strong. But I had another friend who came out of the woodworks, just like my McLaren did back when I was 17, who decided I was going to overcome this fear. And so he signed me up for the speech competition for the kinsman and told me that when the day I showed up, he was a Toastmaster because I was also a Toastmaster trying to work on my, my ability this, to speak. Are we talking about Dave right now? Dave, na- he was National Vice President Dave Watson of, uh, of the Kinsman Club, yes. He's he a great guy, one. folks. He's a great guy. I'm also a Kinsman, so that's how I know Jason. But it's yeah. a, yeah. Phenomenal group, phenomenal organization. But I, I remember I walked in, he's like, so I hear this, and he told me the story, and he's like, is this true? I'm like, yeah. He's like, great, I signed you up for the speaking competition. I'm like, sorry, what? He's like, yeah, and you're going to tell your story. So what? Yeah. So I uh, got up in front of the kinsman, as I think you will remember back then, or at least the year after. Um, this was years ago. But I told my story to the club, and the club helped me, and I, three or four of them got behind me and helped me write my speech and to practice and hone my skills. Then I went and spoke to the other clubs, and I started competing. And next thing you know, I was going to, uh, to Regina and competing for the national championships, which... How'd that go? I won. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm actually a national speaking champion. Who, who knew? <laughs> and if you had have went and told 15-year-old Jason that? I would have laughed in his face. Yeah. Actually, I wouldn't have said anything. I would have turned around and walked away. <laughs> I don't know this guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, not a chance. Walked away. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, so magic. I guess, when did you make the decision to switch from electrician to magic? Oh, I've always known. Uh, as soon as 17. So I've changed my life three or four times mm-hmm. in my life. Uh, I changed at 17, I changed it at 25, and I changed again at 30. Uh, so at 17, when I, when I decided to use magic, when I finished school, I knew I needed a job. And so I went to electrical at 18, 
in order to fund, and I picked electrical because it was a construction trade, it was seasonal, and most of the time you have winters off, which was the prime season for magic. So electrical oh. was my backup plan to my dream. Man with a plan. Oh, I've, <laughs> every single day I've got a plan, and I follow it right from beginning to end or adapt along the way. And so when I was 24, I, uh, I got my license. I, I actually got my license in that, because remember, I took a lot of time off to do my magic. Mm -hmm. I did not work a full year. It was always seasonal, and I picked and chose my jobs based on the seasons in my industry. And so it took me about just shy of six years to get a, a five-year license. At 24, I got my license. The day I got my license, I quit. Hmm. I left the trade and, and went and did my own thing and went to what I call J University. And that is when I went and found marketing directors, uh, accountants, um, branding experts, and found individuals who have done what they wanted to do in their field of interest. And I went and volunteered my time and joined the organization or joined the charity or just straight up asked for help. And I would spend days, weeks, months, some of them I spent years with working for free, just shadowing them, just learning from them. What are, the, what are the skills I need for business to succeed in life? If someone had balance in life, I would go spend time with them and learn how to do it. If there was a family man who could juggle both raising their kids but still going to work nine to five and actually stay within a nine to five hours while running their own business, that's, that's unheard of in an entrepreneurial world. I'd go learn from them. Marketing, uh, Warren, uh, Z-Bahn Signs, I needed to learn signage. He's another kinsman. So I made a bit of a trade with him and I helped him do his signage at no cost and be an electrician that was a valuable asset for him in exchange to learn the science and the psychology behind signage. You never would have guessed that the colors all play a principle in distance, etc., etc. So that's how I gained my skills. Mm -hmm. And then I... Uh, Listening to experts. Yeah, yeah. I, I often ask my question, myself a question. If I get stuck on anything, I have so many mentors in my life, both past and present. Right now I have seven. Um, if I get stuck on anything, I just ask myself, what would so-and-so do? Mm -hmm. And it gives me a whole other perspective. I can't count how many times I've been in dealing with signage and thought, what would Warren do in this situation? Oh, he would probably suggest I do this. Great. That's a great idea. I never thought of that myself. Mm -hmm. All because of the advice he's answered me in the past. Now my most uh, prominent mentor is a guy by the name of Blair Singer. And he's the reason why my life changed again when I was 30. Like it's just, it, it's changed one after another. And it's always based on, well, what do I want next in life? I've achieved this. What's next? And then I started my plan and looked at my mentors and put it into action. That's fantastic, fantastic. So deferring to experts, I'm interested to just kind of uh, explore that concept for a second. Mm -hmm. 10,000 hours, is that a thing? Are you familiar with uh, an expert is somebody who has 10,000 hours of experience in something? Do you have 10,000 hours of magic experience? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> Four hours a day, every day of the week for the last 22 years? Pretty close. <laughs> yeah, No. And, I, and that's kind of what I'm getting at, is, is it didn't happen by accident. You've got a lifetime of experience and, and dedication to something. Uh, do you have any takeaways for somebody who might be in a similar situation and at a young age that might have something that maybe not be magic, but it might be something, I guess, general takeaway for, for anybody out there who's got an idea or got a, got a, a dream? Oh, easy. That, that, you said it may not be magic, but I, I respectfully disagree because I think we each have a piece of magic in us. You have something you can do better than anybody else. I have met hundreds of thousands of people out in this world, both speaking, facilitating, or performing. And every single person I've met has has an ability, a skill, a tool, some way of looking at something or the way of thinking that makes them special in their own way. And if you and if you don't know what it is, give me a call. I'd be happy to have a conversation with you and help point it out for you. Um, but if you can figure out what your magic tool is, what it is that's so special about you that you can do better than anybody you know, your friend, your family, your colleagues, and you leverage off that, 
you can help exponentially explode your results. All you have to do is, one, be willing to look at yourself with an open mind and an open set of eyes to really see yourself for who you really are, not for that self-sabotaging thoughts and past voices from other people say you are. Don't listen to that. Look at yourself openly and honestly, and then take that and ask yourself, how can you use that? How can you help yourself? Because all you have to do is be good at one thing in this world. If you can be good at one thing, you can help get what you want by leveraging off of it. But that fits so well into what this show is all about and focusing on ability and, and you know, knowing what you can do and, and let's worry about that and, and build off of that. And that's, that's, a, that's a great comment. So I guess you are an expert in magic and that means that when it comes to something about the performance art of magic that you're very prepared to deal with new and exciting challenges. However, I, I think it's interesting to, to segue into, uh, there, there was a show that you, that you had a chance to do recently, mm -hmm. and uh, there were some unique challenges presented there. You must be referring to uh, the, when I was invited by uh, Jason King to come to the CPD event. The Council for Persons with Disabilities uh, yes. event, yeah, and, and uh, I guess for the most part, what kind of mediums does, does your craft uh, employ? Well, uh, my show is very visual. I use some auditorial because I tie my stories and I tie my lessons into it through speech. And sometimes it can be hands-on because I'll get you to hold an object or, or, or handle it in some kind. Um, but then Jason King called me. And Jason was a phenomenal individual. And we had a phenomenal, just an incredible conversation. Uh, I remember he, he put a huge smile on my face. He goes, I love magic. And I go, great. Well, you're going to love this show, especially when you see it. He goes, well, there's a challenge with that. I said, what's that? He's like, I'm black blind. And that was the first time I'd heard that term. I, I knew what blind was, but I'd never heard black blind. So he explained to me the difference between being partially blind and being black blind. For him, that means like he can't see anything. And so I choked because I, I, it completely caught me in a right field. Luckily, he was a very open individual, and I was able to ask him a question. Could you please educate me? On you said you love magic, but yet you can't see it. Mm -hmm. How? And his he responded that he loves the reactions and the responses and how people um, how people get involved and in, and in just hearing the enjoyment for other people. And it opened my mind that magic or any entertainment can be shared in more ways than just the way we think. And so he challenged me to come and do a show for individuals of varying, uh, varying challenges and obstacles in life, from whether visual challenge, physical, uh, or, or even some mental challenges of different kinds. Hearing everything. Every, yeah. There was a, a pretty representative group of folks there. And, and I did get a chance to see that show, but I'm really curious. Uh, was there anything that you, that you did to prepare? Was there anything that you modified in advance? Mm -hmm. I understand there were some things that happened on the fly. Let's get to that after. But I'm curious about what you did to your, to your regular routine mm -hmm. beforehand. Well, uh, first off, I went and listened to your presentation on being inclusive, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is the, it was the cogwheel of my success. Because if, if I never listened to your presentation on, on what inclusive means and how to apply inclusive to life and to everyday objects so that it's adaptable and usable by everybody, I, I would have been in a lot of trouble. So first thing I did is I started asking myself, how do I get people to experience the magic in their hands through touch, sound, smell, and sight, and try to capitalize on all of them at all times. And if I can't capitalize on with one effect, if I can only capitalize on visual with one, well then one of them has to cater to uh, those who can only hear but can't see, and another one has to be able to cater to those who can see but can't hear. 
And so I started altering my props. So for example, I have a mind reading effect that is, it uses chips that are colored. So I took an elastic band and on the colored chip that has a one on it, I put one elastic band. The one with two on it, put two elastic bands, three, three elastic bands, four, four. Mm -hmm. And I spaced them apart so you could feel them. And I started using my effects so that they would hold them and have them in their hands. And I also turned my, instead of telling my story the way I do, I started uh, verbally uh, describing the effect I was doing while I was doing it. So those who were listening uh, would hear what I was doing in time with the reactions that were happening, not after or too far before. Descriptive um, audio, yeah. Is that what that's, yes, descriptive audio is yeah. exactly what I was attempting to do. Uh, and you had some great ideas on how I could even improve on that after the show, so thank you. Oh, there's so many things, and, and I'm hoping we can get to that at the end of the conversation because I mean, we, I'm sure that nobody has all the answers, but no. being an innovative chap and, and having a community of folks that are willing to help, I'm, I'm confident we can keep making progress on that. But what, what else? What else? Well, before the show, I prepped. I changed my show drastically. I changed about five or six different effects physically uh, and, how I did, and how I presented them and everything. And it was interesting because when I got into the show, when I actually stood up and performed, that's when I realized how little I had prepared. Uh, wow. I, I had put days of work prior just analyzing and trying to predict what was going to happen because uh, this was new for me. And when I got on that stage, I very quickly realized that I wasn't prepared at all. So, for example, uh, the first effect was I had music and it was, it was auditorial and visual. But I very quickly realized, even for those who, are visual challenge, who had a visual challenge, it was too far away for some of them. Mm -hmm. And the time frame, even though it was only a couple minutes in my head, I thought that would go fast. In the heat of it, it was performed silently. And so all you could hear was the music and the actual, and you could see the effect. And that's when I realized that the descriptive audio, I didn't prepare for descriptive audio. I didn't even think of it. So within the first 15 seconds, I realized I have to verbally describe what I'm doing, which is new for me. Because at that point was a demonstration of me as a child performing on stage, being too scared to speak or to look up. So I was doing a visual demonstration. So instead, I used descriptive audio and performed describing it. And you can instantly see Jason King and a few others who, who uh, were visually challenged enjoying the show as soon as I started doing that. Next thing I realized is that I'm used to performing on a stage. I'm on a stage and you're in front of me. Well, that doesn't work in this setting. So I think it was by the second effect, I grabbed my entire box and moved it to the middle. Mm -hmm. So now I'm performing completely surrounded, which if you've ever seen a magician, you know that yeah. doesn't happen. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so, yeah, I very quickly changed that. I threw three of my effects on the fly, added another effect right in the middle that I, I knew was set up but wasn't going to use for the show. I started very quickly putting people's hands, getting people involved with their hands and doing physical contact and, uh, and using things like my puppet, which is, a, is a, a, a bear that looks like a magician and very soft. So I started using touch uh, and made sure I used sounds, started incorporating smells. Don't ask me how I use a smell for a magician. Uh, unfortunately, it's just a, a lit match, you know, the sulfur. Uh, so I started applying and trying to implement that as well. But I realized very, very quickly that anything I had planned, no matter how much time I put in ahead of time, went out the window. And that when it came right down to it, what mattered most is that I was willing to try and I was willing to adapt and I was willing to think on the fly and just give it a shot. Because in the end, uh, the show went phenomenal. I met some incredibly nice people. But more importantly, I learned how to make that even better the next time. And so just yeah. by taking that action, 
whether it's success or failure is irrelevant. Uh, it was a success, thankfully, but irrelevant because it was from the action of doing it that I learned how prepared or underprepared I really was and what I could do to make it better next time. And next time, I'll get even better and then better and better. That's great, Jason. And I think you have to be an expert to be able to do something like that, to take on a challenge like that and for it to go so well. Because there was 30 or 40 people in the room, and I think that they had a great time. Everybody was cheering and having having fun. I mean, uh, you know, I, I hadn't seen something like that done uh, either. I mean, if, if you've never done it and we've never seen it, uh, it was new. It was the first time something like that had been done like that. So, so that's kind of exciting. Uh, is there anything, I guess, as far as a takeaway, I mean, next steps for that kind of a program? Um, do you have intentions to do more inclusive magic? I would love to. I, I've actually I've kept thinking of it ever since. How do I add the, both the physical, uh, like I've already said a few times, physical, auditorial, and, and visual elements to it so that we can adapt it to everybody and, and thinking of different ways to uh, allow others to be able to do the magic and, and to put it into their hands and into their minds. Um, and so I, I'm very open to doing that again and expanding on it and seeing what else we can create. I think that would be a very fun, unique, and exciting challenge because that's a show I'll never forget. And it might make the, the show even better for everybody else too. I mean, just just uh, developing it to be more inclusive could make it better for everyone. I agree. Because now you're hitting multiple elements, you're hitting multiple senses, and that always strengthens an impact. It's no longer a TV, it's no longer a theater performance. It becomes an interactive, inclusive, and adaptable performance that everybody is part of. It's not me, you watch me, it's Irish show, it's not my show. Right. Excellent, and, and uh, we're very glad to have you on the show, and, and thank you so much for sharing all that. How, how do folks get a hold of you? And if they want to book you for a show or pick your brain, what, what, how do we get a hold of you? Oh, there's two ways. Well, as I mentioned, there's UncommonEntertainers.com. That is the entertainment side of things, all uncommon and unique artists of a variety, variety of natures. Uh, the other way is Network Like a Magician. That's more like speaking, coaching, corporate training, facilitating uh, side of me. That's the one that puts me without a deck of cards up in front of people speaking. That's the one that shocks me the most in life. I never thought I'd ever do that. Um, but networklikeamagician.com would be the easiest way because you'll get me directly, not just my team. And uh, I'm always happy to have a conversation and, and grab a coffee or a chat and, 